This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about online presentations and how to up your game using Zoom or other platforms. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, Tom, did you not get the memo? The world has opened up. Live in-person events are back. Why are we talking about online presentations? Well, now that we've come through the last couple of years, online presentations are here to stay and they are a permanent part of the speaking industry and things are still changing. And so you've got to be paying attention to how you can up-level your game when it comes to online. And today's guest knows all about this. Today, we are joined by Robbie Samuels. Hey, Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, Robbie, what are your two tips for speakers on how they up-level, how they use Zoom or other online platforms? My first would be start with the end in mind and also focus on technique, not tech. All right. Well, we're going to dive into those here in just a second. But for those of you who don't know Robbie Samuels, he helps organizations move their events online with less stress and more attendee engagement. He hosted his first online meeting, if you will, on Zoom on March 13th, 2020. Many of us remember that day because that was the day the speaking industry died. But not for Robbie, because nine months later, he had a six-figure business using all new revenue sources when it came to helping people thrive in this online environment, and he hasn't stopped. So, Robbie, let's talk about that. Let's go back in time just a little bit. What were you doing What was your business like March 12th, 2020? Well, prior to the pandemic, I'd spent over a decade teaching people how to network, specifically at events and conferences. I had a talk for 11 years, a book, um, group coaching program, a TEDx. I was poised to be an overnight success 10 years in the making. I was working on a new talk that I was going to pitch to association execs. My go plan was March 2020. And then no one needed any of the skills I had acquired in the previous decade. So I was trying to figure out how to show up and add value. And that's when I decided to write nine ways to network in a pandemic. And that was March 12th and March 13th. One of the ways was to host a virtual happy hour. And that's how I ended up doing that on March 13th. Nice. You know, within our industry, there's not a lot of stories of people whose fortunes turned around because of the shift that we had to go through. And you are one of those beacons of people who you had a nice little growing speaking business, but you really hit new levels of success that you'd never seen because of how you embraced this online, this online world. And for a lot of people who were successful doing online presentations and people did them in many different ways. Some of them built full studios in their house. You know, some just had their laptop with the built-in camera going, but they had a really good following. So they were able to to get out there and do it. But many of those people started to pull back once we got towards the end of 2021 and into 2022, and they relaunched their in-person as their full game. You've continued along this path of being the expert when it comes to having great, engaging online events. So what caused you to say, I'm doubling down as the pandemic started to wane? 
I work with these amazing organizations. I generally support nonprofits and associations who are trying to bring their audiences, which is their membership together for either one or maybe three or even four day conferences. And they've committed to this model. Some of them like feeding America is my biggest client. They have a a mix, some, some in-person and some virtual uh, events now on their calendar, but they actually said, Oh wow, you have all this experience pre uh, COVID. And so I'm helping them with design and strategy for those events as well. But they're like, they know that their membership has easier access to the content and to the information. And as long as we're making it engaging and giving people opportunities to connect and network, then they're going to keep that model. California WIC Association is another client of mine. It's a huge state to get people to travel, you know, to one location is a burden on those membership organizations. So to them, it's like, it's a no brainer that they're going to want to continue to do this model. And as long as they're continuing to to do good work in this space, they want to commit to it. So I love that I get to work with these mission driven organizations. And I just think that speakers have an opportunity to actually educate a lot of their clients about how to do do their work even better. So let's talk about how do we up level in this in this new world and, and how do we move forward? So your first tip was begin with the end in mind. So let's talk about that when we come when we're talking about online presentations. What what is the end and, and how do we begin? I mean, this is true regardless of whether it's an in-person or virtual presentation. But if you understand what outcomes you're hoping for, and one way to think of outcomes is how do you want people to think differently, do differently, or feel differently at the end of your session? And with that in mind, what tools, techniques, exercises are we going to employ in order to achieve that aim? And that way, when you get struck with the idea of using some new widget that you've never used before, you can say, like, is this really going to help us achieve that particular outcome? Or am I just enamored with the latest and greatest widget that's out there that I haven't actually used yet and I feel a little uncomfortable about using, maybe that's not going to be your best. Maybe using better technique on online facilitation would help. Maybe understanding like better questions for your breakout rooms, that kind of thing. So I want people to say, what are you trying to achieve with this session? And then design the flow of the program with that in mind. So it's really interesting because some people got really enamored with the latest flashiest tech during during the whole thing. And, and some of it worked. Some of it didn't work. Some of it was cool, but it really didn't make for a better meeting. And it certainly in a lot of cases, even when it was supposed to, didn't really make people feel more engaged. Just because you had a little avatar that you could move to a chair didn't mean that it was any better than just going into a Zoom breakout room. And so let's think about when you're looking at an online event What are some of those end things that a speaker needs to be thinking about? Well, for me, it's always about engagement that that I say intentional engagement because opening up uh, breakout rooms, having breakout rooms enabled. First of all, it's very 2020 to have accomplished enabling breakout rooms. Congratulations. But now what do you do with that? Now that you have the option to use breakout rooms, do you just throw people in a room? I was in an event last night where we all got in the room and we literally had that moment of, what are we doing? <laughs> hi, everybody. Was like, oh, hi, I'm the person we're actually going to talk to. So we were like, what, what's going on? I'm so confused. That's not a good space. And then, yes, there's engagement. Like usually the most privileged person in that small breakout room will start to speak on the mic. But the new people, the young people, the people of color, the queer people, the people whose language is not the language dominant in the culture, those folks may resist or hang back a little bit. And if the, if the rules of those space is different, like when do I put something in chat? How do I ask a question? 
Those are the kinds of things that keep people from being fully engaged. So if you want intentional engagement, it requires a lot more thoughtful design than just, okay, we're going to put, you know, oh my gosh, I had seven people in a breakout room for 15 minutes with three questions in 2020. And I kept going to this event. I, I find a stop because that does not, I mean, if you think about it, seven people, 15 minutes, three questions. Oh, and Tom, question one was share a time you face. Oh, sorry. Share a challenge you're facing like a current day challenge. So every time we just ended up creating a hot seat for that for one person. Yeah. I was just going to say, you can't have seven people answer that one question in 15 minutes, much yeah. less three questions. But you could ask, share a challenge you faced and how you overcame it and have everyone quickly share a little anecdote. You'll get to hear some common obstacles and you'll get to hear some really interesting ways of, of resolving that. So you get to also witness people's resilience and that would maybe surface some of the kinds of conversation you do want to have people discussing, but I still wouldn't do seven people in 15 minutes. Like, so I think, I think understanding the limitations is important, but recognizing that in-person has limitations as well, you know, and like, once you understand the rules of the game, then you can work to really achieve the best outcome. So it is interesting because putting too many people in a breakout room is a mistake that a lot of people make. The other thing is, is that not giving really clear instructions. And you bring up an interesting point that the most privileged person in the room is probably the one who's just going to take over if there's not a moderator. And by doing that is, are you excluding other people? This is something a lot of speakers probably don't think about. So what are some of the things they can do to begin with the end in mind if they're going to use engagement tools like a breakout room? What are some things they can do to make sure they're upping the game of how they're they're building their presentation and the interactive part of their presentation so that people aren't feeling marginalized or left yeah, out. Yeah, there's some really great technique for breakout rooms because I think breakout rooms do offer a great opportunity for engagement for participants to take the learning and start to embody what does it feel like to think about this for my own organization or my own life. So one is getting clear on the outcome. So is it just a quick check-in? Well, you can do a quick check-in with three people for six minutes. I love doing a win-win, which is sharing a personal and professional win. That's just a quick chance, like almost like an icebreaker, get people a chance to get to know each other a little bit before we dive in. That's possible really quick. But if you want people to have a conversation, then you need more time and not too many people. So that, so really understanding the dynamics you're trying to create. The next would be getting clear on what specific question, one question, not seven questions, one question. And then when you go to set up the breakout rooms, um, you would say the question and then give your answer. And this is so key because as, as humans, as adult learners, when we hear a story, which is what an answer is, our brains start to come up with a story in response, which is why if I were to say to you, hey, how's your day been going? As soon as you start to talk, I have ideas of what I want to interrupt to tell you, even though I wasn't feeling urgent about talking initially, I suddenly have all these ideas because your story ignites stories in my brain. So use that to our advantage by sharing an answer to the prompt or question, put the prompt or question in chat, right? As you're about to open up the rooms and then say, Hey, if you need to be reminded what the prompt was, click on the chat icon when you get into the breakout room and we're going to go in this order. Now, this is a part where I think some speakers are starting to do this, but they're getting a little too cutesy. I want to suggest that we only stick to alphabetical. Alphabetical first, alphabetical last, reverse alphabetical first, reverse alphabetical last. All that information should be on the screen. I always joke, if your last name's not showing, then you go first, like by <laughs> default. <laughs> now, what happens is that you can very quickly sort the room. 
if you want to do longest hair, shortest hair, darkest color shirt, birthday, years experience, these things are subjective and require time. So if you only gave people 10 minutes, and there's five people, but we spend two and a half minutes deciding the order. That <laughs> is, is my brown stack. shirt lighter than your blue shirt. To which one is the darker color? It's hard to tell. It's incredibly subjective. Now, there are moments where having the person with the most seniority or experience might benefit the conversation. And I get that. So in that use case, when people get into the room, have them immediately write in chat their answer so that it's all in chat and it's very easy to figure out, well, who's going first and what the order is. But tell people to do that as opposed to just leaving it up to them to figure out how to move forward with that explanation. And then also being really thoughtful about your debrief. So I have a handful of different debrief techniques that I use depending on what the question is. But my favorite is to do, um, well, there's a couple of favorites. One is nominations. So someone comes back from, let's say, a win-win like check-in and they'll we'll say, hey, did you hear a particularly awesome win? Write that person's name, either the word personal, professional, we'll call on them, see if they'd like to unmute and share. What I love about that is they could be brand new to the event and get nominated. So it, it's a way to bring in new people. It's, it's also a way to elevate the best answers. So it's not, it's not self-nomination because some of us are just willing to raise our hand no matter what we had to say. But it's, it's kind of being screened a little bit by some community of people who are like, yeah, that was a good answer. The other one I like to do is um, I call it a waterfall debrief. So you have everyone come back. Let's say um, if you had free time, what would you want to learn is like a really good get to know you. Okay, come back now. Don't hit enter, but write your answer in chat and I'll tell you when to hit enter. Don't hit enter. And you play that game for like 30 seconds and then you finally say hit enter. And then the chat just lights up with everyone's short answers. Now, what's happening there is that in the moment that they're writing, their brain doesn't also have to be reading other people's answers. You're creating almost, it's almost like this offline moment. (laughs) Like they're getting a chance to think without having lots of information being thrown at them. And then they can scroll through all the answers. And then I say, oh, see who you can help, see who can connect. And so we get people skewing giving suggestions, offering support, offering to connect with people. Um, You can read out a few, you can call on a few people. So change up the debrief will also keep it really interesting. You don't always do the, okay, come back. And now we're going to have everyone raise their hand. Like just avoid the default setting. You know, there's a a default way you've always done it. Switching it up a little bit also makes it more interesting. I want to go back to something you started with, and that was when they get to the room, keep it simple. Say, okay, you're going to go in alphabetical order so that you don't have people sort of just taking charge, jumping in and going, and then people feeling like, oh, is it my turn? I think that's great. But you said sometimes people get too cutesy in their thing. Was that like the things like the colors of the shirt, the length of the hair? Yes. Wait, okay. I just wanted to see if we had missed any cutesy things people no, are doing. No, it's that stuff. I mean, I, I'm guilty of it too. I tried this thing with like birthdays at one point, yeah, but then hard. I was in a breakout room and experienced that kind of order. And I was like, Whoa, we're spending like half the time discussing this. Right. And inevitably when I've done that, when I've been a participant in a one about hair length, there's always a bald guy. And that leads <laughs> to a whole conversation about that. Again, that's not the focus of the conversation that wasn't about the topic. And I think this is why alphabetical, you know, just kind of is helpful. Now, the same thing for, if you're having people check in, even going around the room, Early in the pandemic, there was a lot of us hosting events where it was just simply like a everyone gets a couple of minutes. We're going to go around and you would lose track. Oh, the screens changed <laughs> like that whole moment. Oh, wait, Mary, did you go like, well, if you open up break, if you open up the participants window with everyone muted, their names are alphabetical. Uh-huh. And then as people unmute, they stay alphabetically unmute. Very nice. 
So using the alphabet to do that order would be one option. You can also now with Zoom, you can freeze the order on your screen, but giving people the heads up when it's their turn. So another good example would be having people on deck. So in a moment, we're going to do introductions. Um, Tom, you're actually going to be kicking us off. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to actually demonstrate it. Here's what I want you to say. Then I demonstrate it. Then I say, okay, now Tom, it's going to be your turn. After Tom, it's Mary. Gotcha. Mary goes, oh, I should better pay attention. <laughs> Mary like suddenly, oh, what's Tom doing? And then it's like, thanks, Tom. Okay, now Mary, your turn. After Mary, it's Susan. And so you, so every time there's a, there's this moment where someone goes, I heard my name. I better get ready to unmute. I better pay attention. No more delay between people. No more shocked. I'm suddenly in the spotlight moments. It's just basic facilitation technique, but in person, we didn't need it because it was pretty evident for the most part, who was next. We were going in a circle. Even in today's world, keeping it simple is going to be an advantage. You don't have to have all the flashes and bells and whistles. Now we've talked a lot about beginning with the end in mind from the standpoint of like breakouts. When it comes to the speaker's main presentation, is there some parts of that beginning with the end in mind that that we should be paying attention to? Yeah. If you want them to do something differently. If the takeaway is action, then work to get your presentation to not just be inspiration and needs to have something action oriented. And what I mean by that is make sure there's some specific next step takeaways as part of the presentation and build in time at the end to have people actually think about when will they do that next thing. So don't just say, all right, that's all the time we have for questions. Thank you. Goodbye. But you want to preserve time at the end for your wrap up next steps. And that could really focus. This could be 10 minutes of your presentation if this is your goal. And it would say, okay, folks, listen, we're at a conference. You're writing down a ton of content right now. But reality, when in the next week are you going to be able to look at the notes from today's session? In fact, even throughout the presentation, building in micro moments for reminding people to take notes or if they're note takers to highlight their biggest action moments, because there are some people like me who don't take a lot of notes and there are other people who write nonstop. Either way, you don't have enough next steps. It's not clear. It's either too much or not enough information. So, so reminding them and the end saying, okay, when are you going to look at this? Um, think about who in the organization you would need to talk to, to get agreement about having this on an agenda. What if you wanted to have this be something you discuss in six weeks? What would you need to do? Who would you need to talk to? You know, what, what's, are you, what information are you lacking? Like actually walking them through an implementation process for those first few steps, that is going to give them a better sense of like, okay, I'm really going to take this information and really do something about it. Let them know the resources. This organization has a, you know, I don't know, an email list that you can write to, right? We have a, we have an FAQ board you can review, giving them all the tools and letting them know who to reach out to if they have questions, which by the way, if you're in the position of trying to do sales through your presentation, this is where the rubber meets the road because the people who will reach out to you after trying a few of these steps, their own are definitely going to be much more positioned to be a prospect than the person who didn't bother doing any of the work who doesn't even understand what the questions are. They don't even think to reach out to you. So in some ways, putting a little extra emphasis on this piece could also help with sales. So I feel like we've sort of transitioned into your second tip, which is focus on technique, not tech. So let's dive into that, that whole idea. What do you mean by technique? That's probably some of what you just talked about, but, but what are you talking about to really up your game with virtual presentations on technique over tech? Early in the pandemic, I was going to lots of virtual gatherings, um, trying to see what people were doing and learn from them. I had a woman say to me, 
Robbie, I have four monitors now. What do I do with my four monitors? And I was like, well, why? Wait, do you have four monitors? Cause you have space on your desk for more monitors. And she was like, yeah. Okay. That's the problem with tech. Like with, with it being all focused on tech, I had another person say, I got all this stuff in the mail. I said, how long ago? She goes, Oh, I don't know. It's been a few weeks now. It's like all in boxes, you know, and just staring at it, like bewildered. What do I do next? I know, I know a lot of speakers who bought a lot of tech that they never even learned how to use during the, during the pandemic. So the, the tech didn't get them anywhere if it's sitting in boxes. It's not sitting in boxes and it's a big hill to climb. I mean, I also know folks that did create an amazing in-home studios. Like the folks I'm talking to never did that. Like they didn't go that route. Like if you've got a hair light, like I'm not talking to you, like, congratulations. That's amazing. Blows my mind. But if you don't know what a hair light even is and that you need one, then, then those are the people I'm talking to. Because if you're now two and a half years in to this new normal and you haven't gotten to that level of tech, well, then let's just figure out how to do better with what you do have. I mean, you want the basics. You want really good light. You want the best camera you can get. You want to make sure you're looking at the camera as much as possible. You want as good a quality audio as you can. Audio being actually the more important thing because your brain can fill in if the video is a little choppy, but the audio is bad, they're going to tune out. So these little things, you do want those basics, but part of the technique versus tech, for example, would be sending people to a third-party service like a Mentee or a Mural or a Miro. And there are reasons to use those. But there's a lot of ways to achieve the same aim with Zoom. In fact, now Zoom has the advanced polling where you can actually type in your answers uh, or choose from column A and column B. Like there's a lot of new quizzes and advanced polling features. But if you send people to a third party through a link, there are people, attendees, participants, who early in the pandemic, they discovered that if they clicked a link in chat, it took over their full screen and Zoom went away. And the reason that happened is that Zoom is full screen automatically and they never changed that default setting. And when that happens, they don't know how to get Zoom back and it freaks them out. And so they've learned, they've actually been trained to not do the simple thing and click the link. So you think, oh, this is no big deal. I'm going to drop the Menti link in chat and then they'll just join me. And you'll discover that depending on your audience, that's not the case. And so you want to know your audience. If it's going to be an audience that will meet regularly over a period of time, then training them on how to use a tool like um, even, even having them do the annotation, the writing on, on the screen, it's worth training them if it's an ongoing meeting. But if it's a 60-minute conversation as part of a conference, oh my gosh, you can waste so much time. Like the first time you give people the ability to annotate, it's like giving three-year-olds Sharpies and saying like, <laughs> practice writing your name. <laughs> like they're like, well, so maybe not the best use of your time if like a person I met with, they said, oh, they're going to do this thing where they're going to use a stamp and they're going to pick three of 10 options and that'll be our conversation. And I said, that's a poll. Like pick three out of 10, like literally just make a poll. Everyone knows how to use it. It pops up on their screen. They click their options. They hit submit. It's done. It took you max two minutes. And it's like, oh, Robbie, isn't isn't this advice true for in-person presentations as well? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who uses during their speech two or three times where there's a QR code. People have to take out their phones and then go do something. And I said, what percentage of the audience does it? And he goes, oh, not very many, but it looks really cool. And I'm like, yeah, but if, if a quarter of the audience or half the audience isn't taking out their phone and I can tell you, you know, may, maybe I'm not every man, but 
if a speaker says go to this site while they're speaking, I never do it. I couldn't tell you the last time while someone was giving a presentation, I clicked on a QR code with my phone or went to the link they were doing to take a poll that they wanted me to go take because I'm just not interested in playing with the tech. I'm interested in listening to the speaker. So some of these tips you're giving work for in-person too, right? Your overall technique is going to be more important than a whiz bang tech tool. Yeah, I just did 45 sessions helping these session owners, which is a speaker's design an in-person session. And over and over again, I convinced them not to do tech. And sometimes it was the IT department, right? And that was really funny conversations because I mean, in some ways they're the best suited to use tech. But I said, here's the thing. You can do all these really cool engagement. Um, all the people are going to be sitting in rounds of 10, 10 tops, right? So we put four colors of index cards and as you do your presentation, you can do quizzes, trivia, polls, whatever, and then have them pick up the card that relates to the answer. Like each of the answers has one of those colors. And then they can look at who else the table has the same color and they'll get instant like connection. You can read the room. People from the back of the room can see everyone else's hand and how, what they're holding up because the colors on both sides. So I'm low tech. I love Zoom and technology clearly, but I am about simple. Like what will help move the conversation forward, get people engaged without losing them. Cause I think, unfortunately you're right. Like your answer to like the in-person is also the person on zoom. who's like, I'm not going to click that link and go to that thing. Now there are moments where I think it's really cool. Like I've done some things where a word cloud was the right answer. I did a going away party for a, a note, for an exec and we wanted to create a word cloud. So throughout the entire presentation, we had a link being shared. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something we just kept up the whole time, but people kept getting the option. So at the end, we could show the results. Like I didn't want us to sit there and watch the whole thing be populated, but we were able to show the results and I was able to like, you know, have it just keep reforming. That way it was a big reveal, but it didn't cause like no one had to do it any one second. But in the end, we were able to like print something with that cool word cloud on it, right? Well, like this is where your two your two tips actually combine, right? So it's, you know, focus on the technique, not the tech, but at the same time, begin with that end in mind. Right. There is a time and a place where certain whiz bang tech is going to be awesome for, you know, getting people engaged in your online presentation. And there's going to be times when maybe it's not necessary. And so keeping both those tips sort of intertwined is probably really important as you're creating your presentation. Yeah, I definitely don't want, I don't want people coming away from this thinking Robbie says never use third party apps, right? Like that's not the answer. It's that sometimes if we're overusing them or even music, you know, you, you suddenly realize, oh my God, I can play music through Zoom and make it sound awesome. And then you just use it all the time willy nilly. I use it to create a particular moment. So I use it before my presentation starts. So I want no one talking. I want to let them in a couple of minutes early. I want to communicate to them in chat. I don't speak over the music. I don't let anyone else speak over the music. I have to train my speakers not to do it. And that way, when the music ends, we're on. The <laughs> curtain opens. Because otherwise, you have the early people coming in. You're chit-chatting with them. You end up with this like fishbowl moment. The new people coming in think they're late. What am I missing? It's a really uncomfortable moment for them. And now it's time to start your presentation. And you've got to wrangle the conversation away from those three people who are having a fun chit chat and it's awkward. And I think music is a really effective communication tool in that moment to teach people like, here's the setting, here's what we're expected to do. But if you play music and then talk over it, you've broken the social 
cue. And don't be surprised if now people just start talking over the music. So I think using the, the technique and the technology together to create the best outcome. So, Robbie, as we wrap up this episode and we're thinking about this whole idea of, you know, as we go into 2023, how do we up level our online presentations and how can we, you know, be purposeful with our design and be really intentional with the engagement? What else do you wish that every speaker knew? My God, there's so many basics, but I will, I want to repeat one from earlier. Look at the camera as much as possible. I've seen people have their notes on their second screen and they're looking over at the second screen the whole time. I've seen a facilitator leaning in really casually staring down at the bottom of her screen as if she's having this intimate conversation with someone when actually we're just watching her forehead. Know when you need to hire or have someone do like your chat moderation and like managing your tech, you know, know, know your limits. Um, we don't want to watch you mumbling to yourself as you're setting up your breakout rooms. And oh, here's a tip. You don't have to do any math when you're setting up your breakout rooms. You decide ahead of time how many people per room, and then it'll tell you in the bottom of the screen as you adjust the number of rooms, how many people. You don't do any math out loud. I've heard so many speakers talk about (laughs) carrying the one, and I'm like, really? Not necessary? So I I think that um, lean into knowing the tech. And, And to that end, I've got resources galore to help people use the tech better so that they can focus more on their technique. I think we have to understand all the possibilities of how Zoom works, but I think the focus is like, now you have breakout rooms enabled, now what do you do? Well, Robbie Samuels, thank you so much for joining us here on Speakernomics, and thanks for all the support and everything that you do for the National Speakers Association. Thank you so much. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. Do us a favor, join us every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and be a better professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.